0: So what I want to see is, you know, a construction sector that is ultimately, it's, it's leading the charge in terms of its contribution to people's daily lives.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to FutureX, a podcast by Martin
0: Hearn, Event Director, FutureBuild, and co-host Dr Oliver Jones, Research Director at Rider Architecture. FutureX will bring together some of the brightest minds and some of the most disruptive thinkers and innovators to transform the construction industry and build a FutureX community of like-minded people that can begin to make a real change. We really hope you enjoy the series.
1: Hello, and welcome to FutureX, Episode 5. I'm Martin Hearn, Event Director at FutureBuild, and I'm really pleased to be joined once again by my co-host, Dr. Oliver Jones, from, well, actually... Award-winning architectural practice Ryder Architecture. Oliver, you've recently just um, well, Ryder Architecture recently just won the Architectural Practice of the Year at the Building Awards.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Martin. It's a, it was it was a fantastic uh, fantastic award ceremony, and we were over the moon to be crowned Architectural Practice of the Year twenty twenty one. I think, you know, from my personal opinion, it's, it, it's it's just testament to some of the great work and uh, fantastic projects and clients that that the practice has had the good fortune of working with over over the past year or so uh, and, and and hopefully will continue to do so so yeah there's a, a load of energy there's a, a few sore heads uh, going around the office but it's uh, it's absolutely absolutely fantastic to to sort of have that recognition for our
1: like i say for our people our projects and and our clients fantastic and congratulations anyway moving on swiftly this week's guest we've got hugh edgar now Hugh is policy um, associate director of policy at the Chartered Institute of Building, and we're going to be talking to him about a range of issues.
2: We covered a load of ground with Hugh. It was a, it was a fantastic conversation. You know, we talk about um, his experience of of going to COP. We, we touch quite a lot on actually the the heat and building strategy that's been released by government and this emphasis on retrofit. And I think uh, rightly so. Then we dive into. A quite a big conversation around the skills shortage and the the necessary skills that the sector needs and how we're how we're going to go about addressing that
1: great well let's dive straight into your conversation
2: i just want to throw in there uh, my first question to kick us off today is can you just tell us in the audience a bit more about yourself and your role at the ciob
0: yeah i am associate director of policy at the chartered institute of building ciob i've been there since march so you know six seven months I mean, before that, I was at RSES for about eight or nine years, you know, so really been around the built environment public affairs arena for the best part of a decade. Before that, kind of doubled in some roles around the UK government and the Scottish government and other professional bodies not related to the built environment. Um, and if I go back even further, I might start getting away my age, so I'm going to stop there.
2: <laughs> and in terms of your day-to-day role at CIOB, can you just tell us a bit more about what that entails?
0: Um, so at the moment, it's really working closely with um, the policy and public affairs team. We're looking to expand that as well um, and work with the members really just to kind of discuss what the key issues for the construction sector are, you know, where, where we can position ourselves in that debate, and ultimately, you know, um, help advise government um, on any policy or legislation they're proposing, whether it needs strengthened, weakened, tightened, loosened, anything like that. It's really just finding opportunities to engage with government and system. It's a good one.
2: And I know that you've recently been um, joined CIOB at, at cop, so we'll we'll dive into that a little bit. but just just pulling on that thread of some of the key issues in the sector that you mentioned there. do you want to give us a hint of, of what some of those key issues might be and some of those key challenges?
0: Yeah, sure. So obviously, well, you just mentioned cop twenty six, you know the big issues around net zero. Um, you know, and with that, the issues around retrofit, um, again, which that can lead into permitted development rights. And ultimately, you know, construction has such a major role to play in the net zero agenda. You know, it's front and center. And I think that's, you know, construction is a sector that does get taken for granted. When people talk about the energy efficiency of homes, you know, they forget that it's the construction sector that has to undertake this. You know, it ultimately gets guided by the consumer. It gets guided by government. You know, but ultimately, it's the construction sector uh, participants that. And added to that, you know, we do have concerns around you know the labour and skill shortage. You know, um, and also the materials as well. This has been going around for quite a while um in brexit certainly hasn't helped and i'm sure we can touch on that later on um you know in the discussion i think that'll be a good issue because it's at the forefront of everybody's mind at the moment obviously cop has taken over that but i think you know as um the dust begins to settle on on that event you know the the issues around um the, the skills and materials agenda will come back to the fore.
1: yeah and I, and I think you know from my perspective i think cop for the built environment has a huge amount of momentum from the built environment going in going into the event all major institutions Came out with their route maps and roadmaps but obviously the outcome of COP shows that we're not quite on track for that 1.5 degrees probably not even two degrees you know that we promised and that final deal was really on a knife edge but we got there we, we got a deal out of it what do you see the positives that came out of COP?
0: Um, collaboration you know, I think there was a lot of uh, synergy in what the, the various stakeholder bodies and organizations that attended were there you know I think there's a real willingness people to work together now as I mentioned in my intro you know I've been in the public affairs space for for 10 years and it's a very loud marketplace in terms of public affairs and ultimately you know a lot of organizations do compete for to, to have that loudest voice to show their skill set show their knowledge base and ultimately try and get government to adopt their recommendations and, and their products and services but I really think you know and the but the, the to an extent the pandemic has led to this as well the there's a real sense that you know industry uh, participants and organizations are beginning to work together you know to try and find a consensual approach which we can then push to governments and i think you know, the best example of this is the national um the national retrofit strategy it's been pushed forward by um the construction leadership council you know we've been very vocal on this as well way of background it came from the domestic repair maintenance and improvement working group um, it's 20 year blueprint um, for how the construction industry can work with the government to retrofit the UK's existing housing stock. Um, it's been, this actually has been modeled over a program period um, from 2021 to 2024. Um, it's got various cycles, four phases, um, underpinning, underpinning capability, um, you know, education, educating households, training industry for an intensive period of work and then run down pace uh, Rub down of pace to focus on the hard to cheap properties that's going to be the big issue the hard to cheap ones
1: yeah yeah ab- absolutely one of the highlights for me was of course uk gbc bringing out and unveiling their whole life carbon roadmap and i think you know you talked about collaboration there and i think that shows that the uk built environment we know we need to deliver um, we know how to deliver and we're probably all committed now to deliver um, Feels like, there's a lot of work to be done encouraging you know our clients, the investors, you know, the homeowners. Sort of, what's next? What's the next priorities?
0: It's convincing homeowners that there is benefit to having a more energy, energy a better energy performing home. Um, you know, as I said, when I was at RCS, there was always a lot of um, uh, email traffic and communications around you know the valuation of properties. You know, an A rated rate property was valued less than, say, a C rated property, and you know, ultimately. People were challenging uh, the valuers, you know, on this, saying, well, why is it not um, higher? You know, it's ultimately be cheaper to run. Um, but the response to that was always that um, you know, there's no market evidence to suggest that energy performance, you know, is actually, you know, you know, increases somebody's desire to buy that property. I mean, that's what valuation is. You know, it's a snapshot of the value at that time taken from, you know, take it undertaken by a professional. Um, and then certainly, you know, in my time there, there was. You know, various amounts of research showed that, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, energy performance was way down the list of priorities for for a property. And it did gradually increase, you know, over the last decade or so, but it's still relatively low down. You know, and I think this is emphasized, you know, and best illustrated by the fact that there's still a program on television called Location, Location, Location. That's still what people want. You know, it's not called Green Home, Green Home, Green Home, or anything like that. You know, it's people want to buy a house that is, you know, it's close to schools, close to shops, you know, close to you know access and everything else. But ultimately, you know, energy performance is not uh, a top priority. And until that changes, you know, we're not going to, I don't see that changing unless there is government intervention. And that's not necessarily always a good
2: thing. I guess just drawing on that uh, thread for a moment, Hugh, I had a discussion this morning with the, the, the fantastic David Pinder, uh, chair of the Green Construction Board at CLC. Mm-hmm. And... We were talking explicitly about the our reflections on the the heat and building strategy. It's, it's, it's hard to be cynical about anything that moves us forward. Um, however, there's a lack of ambition in some of the some of that strategy that's that, that's come that's come out, and a lack of planning around finance and uh, how, as an industry, we're going to address. That skills and labour shortage that the construction sector already faces. We already faced that skills and labour shortage before retrofit was a huge, a huge challenge. Now retrofit mm-hmm. a, a, is number one on the agenda. Mm-hmm. How on earth uh, do we sort of start to look to remedy that?
0: I'm using a nice bland term, creativity. You know, it's. Um, I think we have to take the approach that every little helps. There's no one silver bullet. There's no ultimate panacea. You know, I think it's going to have to take. You know. Uh, ebbing away little bits um, as much as possible you know and just widen that net you know so any any one little motivation you know to encourage you know someone to install you know a combi boiler or a heat pump you know to to invest in double glazing or anything that will help ultimately homeowners and you know it's not you know it's, it's been alluded to before it's not necessarily just homeowners it's businesses as well you know shops offices restaurants you know they should be encouraged to you know benefit from the installation of energy performing and mm-hmm. energy performance enhancing measures. And at the moment, it's, you know, it's the various governments have tried, of course, there was the Green Deal. Um, and then, of course, oh, I was I one more recently, um, the Green Homes Grant. You know, it's, what we've seen is, you know, very much a, a stop start policy, you know, yeah. approach to policy. And I think that's a kind of real frustration because it's not building confidence. You know, what makes markets work and what drives investment is confidence. And that's a product of consistency, you know, uh, and ultimately you know, knowing what's coming. And, you know, as I said, if something starts and then suddenly stops, you know, you're back to square one again. And that, I think that's real frustration and that's why we're not making as much progress as we should be.
2: I guess, push, just pushing that thread a bit, a bit further. One of my provocations this morning was around the, the, the heat and building strategy does predominantly, predominantly focus on on heat of our, heating of our residential homes, rightly so. I would guess from a cynical point of view, I'm wondering, is there an overemphasis on putting uh, driving this forward uh, on the individual when maybe it should be up to government and the industry to take leadership and drive it forward? But the funding's needed in order to do that. Uh, that's my first point. And then the second one was around are we focusing too much on one problem in isolation? Um, there's an awful lot of other issues that come into. Uh, the conversation that we need to be paying attention to. And my worry is that if we just focus on heat in buildings, then are we paying attention to the, some potential unintended consequences in that space further down the line? So, for instance, uh, addressing, uh, insulating our homes. Typical route at the moment is to insulate our homes. We're building new homes with Passive House um, as, a, as, a, as a process. and is there an issue around potentially sealing ourselves in uh, looking at in- poor indoor air quality? You know, that's not mentioned anywhere in there. Flipping mm-hmm. that, looking at ex- poor external air quality, because if we're going down the passive house route, then we're probably over the coming decades are going to be relying on mechanical heat and ventilation a bit more. We're assuming that the, the external air that we're going to be sucking in is, 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 is breathable air. And mm-hmm. at the rate of change that we're currently going through, it's it, it looks potentially like, it won't be. We're already having this problem in Vancouver with some of our colleagues from the office over there in that they can't open their windows. They're actually attaching DIY HEPA filters. Uh, Melvina, um, who works as an architect out in Vancouver, uh, has, has developed his own personal rig that sits over these sort of uh, mechanical heat and ventilation units to clean the air that's coming into his, his, his home. So mm-hmm. there's a big issue of other things that surround heat and buildings. And I, w- I would do worry if if we're overly focused on solving that one problem at the detriment to not really paying attention to the other inter- interdependencies.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. You know, a few years ago, I was at a seminar, and you know, the only once have I heard someone talk about the quality, you know, internal air quality, and that's something that seems to be forgotten. If we insulate and basically lock down our windows so much, you know, you're just going to be, you know, inhaling some fairly poor quality air. Not that I know, I don't know if there's a you know, a quality mark on air quality. Um, but oddly enough, actually, at the, um, during lockdown one, um, my colleague at the time said, you know, if I had my time again, I would invest in indoor houseplants because obviously sales would be going through the roof, given <laughs> how much people are sitting in. Um, one thing I find very interesting, and again, this goes back to uh, uh, COP, you know, and you know, we keep kind of forgetting that it's it wasn't a UK um, event, you know, it was a global event that happened to be taking place in Glasgow. Um, Um, And that's, we always focus about heating our homes and the cost of it, what we're not thinking about is actually how much it costs to actually cool a home in warmer climates, you know, the UK is always focused on heating homes, but I think, you know, to, it costs more energy wise to cool a home than it does to actually heat a home, you know, so, you know, and I'm not sure what the proportion of people live in hot countries or cold countries, but you know, that's something which we need to think about, you know, I don't think in all the the events that, you know, I I was watching on call, there's very little discussion around that it was all about how
2: to heat a home mm-hmm. you know so
0: that, that's a that's
2: a key element and that was one of the things that was in there around uh, obviously in the title the heat, heat and buildings strategy is mm-hmm. the, the, there's a lot of emphasis placed on exactly as you say heating the home but do does it take into account climate adaptation planning you know does the, the environments that we're going to be existing in in 10 years time 20 years time are inevitably going to be much much warmer Um, And and how does that position and that intervention into the retrofit of our homes, how does that perform in a much, much warmer environment? And I made the argument this morning as well that we, we need to start talking about how we integrate green infrastructure and urban tree planting initiatives into these spaces as well, because that has a direct impact on how much we need to heat and cool our properties and our buildings because they mitigate against flooding and rainwater management, but also uh, urban heat islands and, and probably in the future, suburban heat islands. Uh, it's, it's not a thing in the UK, but it is a thing elsewhere in the world at the minute. So it's, it, I guess it was more of a frustration with some of the strategy and policy that's coming out at the minute that there's, it's not holistic, that it doesn't pay attention to some of these other areas that, that could be drawn in. Is that something that, 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 you know, how do you feel about that as a statement?
0: Um, I'll respond to that statement with um, an anecdote from my childhood, which was you know the central heating never went on between March and October, and you're kind of praying for the first of November to come around because that's when your dad would finally switch, you know, flick that switch, you know, and you, you know you didn't have to wear jumpers the whole time. You actually got to benefit from putting your pajamas on the radiator and actually put them warm before you go into bed, you know. And you know the, the problem here is you know everyone's homes are warm, you know, and if your home if your home is too warm, you walk about in shorts. You know, you won't think I'll turn the heat down or put on a jumper and a pair of trousers. No, no, no. I want to be comfortable in my home. I've t-shirts and shorts. You know, even though it's blowing a gale outside. You know, there could be a snowstorm what have you. You know, where people are still willing to actually just crank up the heat and not think. Well, why not just put on a jumper? uh, That's all So you,
2: so 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 you, you had a point earlier around when we were discussing uh, this strategy around potentially looking at how how buildings could be. Uh, graded, I suppose, by typology and frequency of use. Do you want to expand on that a little bit?
0: Yeah, so it, it dawned on me the other day when I was picking up my kids from school, um, you know, I dropped them off at half eight, you know, pick them up around um, you know, three o'clock thereabouts. You know, I'm sure half the nation does the same. Um, but that school is probably open from eight in the morning, you know, closes at four at night. Um, and when, the, when the, the school isn't open, you've got um, lights on, um, you know, for security purposes, you've got heating on, you know, especially in winter wintertime, so the, the, the pipes don't freeze. Um, and that asset is actually just blind empty, you know, and it's a very good, it's a very useful um, asset. You know, it's got a gym hall, it's got um, a dining room, you know, a dining room, it's, <laughs> it's a dining hall, <laughs> um, you know, and lots of other different um, uh, rooms which could have other uses. Now I don't know what these uses might be at the top of my head, but what I'm trying to say here is that asset is only used for half the day or thereabouts. Like compared to say a church hall you know it's open first thing in the morning for you know breakfast club for you know for, for kids before they go to school when that shuts down it will be used for an art class yoga class you know um scripture union um you know and by the time you get to you know after you've got after school club at year four there will be more events you know taking place in that in the evening you know whether it's scourge brian's or something else and um, squash sometimes you know squash badminton you know so the, the church hall is used so much more you know so you think about you know how much you know carbon was expended to build it or the emissions and how much use you know you don't you don't need to crank up the heating too much for it to be hospitable compared to you know um the, the school that is lying dormant and this of course that i'm not criticizing schools at all of course just to be clear but what i'm trying to say here is you know going forward you know do we not when we start thinking about retrofitting properties and you know building you know building back better do we not should building back better actually you know be more have an adaptability element to it or a flexibility element to it so any property that goes up has more than one use. So that property is actually used, you know, for more hours of the day than it isn't. You know, and, you know, as we mentioned, as I mentioned earlier, you know, one of the biggest culprits here is probably sports stadiums. You know, um, you know, I, where I live in Edinburgh, you know, I've been down to Murrayfield, to watch the rugby. Um, I, I don't, see, you know, it's used, it's been used on a weekly basis over the last couple of weeks for the autumn tests. I don't know how often it's used after that, but I can imagine that the actual, the main element of it, it's not used as often as it could be. So You have to think about. You know, how do we maximize the existing assets and ultimately this will you know if we can find a, an algorithm or a way forward to, to maximize the use of our current asset base will that not help the 15 minute neighborhoods plan that not help social um, you know cohesion community infrastructure you know of course and net zero as well you know, and um, you know lower the use of, of, of uh, carbon emissions and, and the rest um, that's something worth exploring. I haven't really kind of you know, developed a position on that or you know, given it
1: too much thought, but it's something which I'm thinking and writing about and very keen to hear other people's views on that going forward. I think one, one of the points you mentioned there was around, you know, switching the lights off and behavioral change. And I think I was reading some polls um, recently that said, you know, it showed that you know post-COP one in five young people feel it's now too late regarding to climate change and hitting those 1.5% targets. You know, mm-hmm. 60% of people actually, Feel that they're getting tired of being told about the problems and not about the solutions you know I, I think it's very easy to get really negative about things but i think you know talking about the solutions is much more simple seems for us much more of a challenge mm-hmm.
0: well there's one thing you know certainly in the policy and political affairs space people love lamenting problems because it's so easy <laughs> you know it's easy to lament uh, problems you know and coming up with a um, you know, solid evidence base to to, to um, exemplify or to support, you know, a policy solution, you know, that that's the difficulty because these things take time, you know, and the agenda is moving so quickly, mm. you know, by the time you actually start, you know, commission research and it comes back to you, you might have missed the boat. Um, and I think, you know, I guess this is probably illustrated if you cast your mind back to the, it's um, going slightly off piece here, it's through the housing, if you cast your mind back to the, you know, financial crash, 2007-2008, when we finally got through that, you know, there was all these statistics going around about, you know, the, the, the deficit, the housing deficit, you know, no politician said there was a crisis. There wasn't a housing crisis in the early days. It was a housing deficit. and we going to tackle it? You know, a thousand homes are required a year throughout the UK, and that's fine. And people, t- you know, the, the, the debate started around the quantity that was needed. But it's that, you know, over about two years after that kind of stat was universally accepted, that you know, the, the debate moved on to, you know, we're, we're building. You know, planning permissions have gone through for the right number of homes, but they're not being built at the quick enough pace. You know, so not only did we have a quality issue, we also had a, a delivery, a, the pace of delivery issue. And then, you know, so, you know, when people started catching up with that, you'd start accepting that as part of the, the housing deficit as well. You we started moving into, um, you know, the, the, the quality of both the homes that were being built, you know, are they actually designing homes that people actually want to live in? Or are we just building homes to, just to take a number? You know, so it was like the quality of the home as well. And now we're moving into the energy performance of it as well. So. The housing crisis debate, the housing debates, it's constantly changing, and it's very difficult to keep a pace with this. Um, and this is why, you know, we just come back to the very start of um, you know, of, of this conversation. Um, you know, collaboration across the across the sector is so imperative. You know, because if we can all sing from one voice, you know, it's you know agreeing what the the, the problems are, but also agreeing solutions. That's more important. As I said, lamenting problems, anyone can do that.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, there's also you know a point there around the use of language. you talked about you know whether it was you know, turn into a housing crisis and the word of, you know, the use of the word crisis as well. Um, mm-hmm. I was talking to our conference producer this morning, Sue, and she was telling me that Chris Starko, the CEO of the um, Climate Change Committee, is now changing the language. He wants to go from years to months because, you know, wow. if you put it in that context, there's only 98 months until 2030. So, you know, it's quite easy for us to say, well, we'll do X by 2030, thinking that mm-hmm. that's, you know, almost a decade away. Well, when you start to put that in months... That's not a lot of time to take these ambitions to actions. Um, and I suppose that's a real challenge when you come to policies as well, because they take time to Im- implement.
0: That's it, yes, yeah. So the net zero by 2015, you know, right or like a road to 2045,
1: 2013.
0: You know, being in Scotland, you know, we hear it a lot. Of Scotland's got some really ambitious climate change targets, and that's great, you know. But unfortunately, it's one of these things where, you know, it's it's really hard to comprehend. 2030 is still quite hard to comprehend. It's nine years away. You know, it's easy to imagine nine years ago, you know, but thinking nine years forward, that's really difficult. That's that's two world cups, you know. You want to put it another way, you know. You know, everyone who played in the most recent World Cup probably won't be playing, you know, in the next one. By the time we have to reach these targets, all these footballers, you know, that we liked to admired now, they won't be in the they won't be they will be in these teams It'll be the the the, the, the youths. In uh, the under twenty one squads, those are the ones that we'll be watching, you know, uh, in the World Cup um, when the time to get to then.
2: It's good. I like that analogy, Hugh. In the you, <laughs> you know, we, we're essentially having two full sets of team change in between now and <laughs> twenty thirty.
0: Yeah. Well, as a Newcastle fan, I'm hoping to see some Newcastle representation in the squad by then.
2: <laughs> so, just jumping back to uh, the policy side of things, looking at. Obviously, I would imagine that one of the key issues for you, for your members as well has been around the implementation of the Building Safety Act and and a lot of the a lot of the discussions around that. You know, do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Well, we've been we've been taking the Building safety, safety Bill very very seriously. You know, it's such a
0: such an important piece of legislation. Um, thankfully, it's you know it's under scrutiny. The, you know, the timeline seems to be on course, and it's there's a lot of good material in there. You know, it's ultimately built off the Dame Hackett review, which we were very supportive of, and I think the entire sector was very supportive of as well. Um, you know, it's it's, it's an absolute it's an absolute necessity and I hope it will be will come through. You know, we've done a lot of um, you know providing lots of written submissions, you know, kind of um, you know highlighting several areas where you know legislation could be enhanced and, you know kind of where additional clarity is needed. Because uh, ultimately you know it's, it's this, we're at the point where it's the final opportunity for the bill in its entirety be critiqued before kind of line-by-line amendments were made by various policy makers in parliament. You know, but even then, you know, once it gets to that stage, it still take, you know, anywhere between 12 and 24 months, you know, like Martin, you know, I'm going to start working in months now, you know, as opposed to years, 12 to 24 months before it could receive, you know, royal assent and becomes an act. Now, but again, you know, you know, as alluded to before, you know, the bigger challenge around, you know, this timeline is and various pieces of secondary legislation, you know, come into play now. These elements could uh, run at various paces, and that could be a little bit tricky, you know. So there's elements around, uh, you know, the role of the regulator, uh, the new Homes and putsmen I both of which, you know, we are actually very supportive of. Um, but it's again, it's that finer detail, you know. So that the act could pass, you know, within twelve months, but then how long will the secondary legislation take? For us, the regulator needs to be, you know, a role that is actually has purpose, you know, mm-hmm. that that, that it actually has teeth. And you know, a lot of this will come around, you know, the education the qualification requirement for for this role, Um, you know, and, you know, if you 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 include both the regulator and the new homes Ombudsman, um, both of them lead to challenges and informing industry, you know, again, providing that confidence with the bill and when the certain legislation will come to force. I,
2: I can't help but feel, you know, we've, we're in an unprecedented time here, not just with climate, the climate emergency, but also with all of the other pressures and Um, Disruptors that are acting upon the construction sector. So you know we've got the building safety bill that you've mentioned. We've Mm -hmm. we've got this uh, emphasis on digital and data and performance monitoring and measurement. You know we've got a huge narrative and emphasis coming through, rightly so, on social value and how social value is going to change the way we do things. And then at the same time, we've got key pieces of legislation in the development around retrofit and around you know i'm hoping that we do see the national retrofit strategy um actually push forward Uh, it would appear like the only real answer to this because we've on this discussion today we've mentioned maybe four or five totally new roles that need to exist within the construction sector this has to go back all the way to education and and how we're educating people to come into the sector but also how we're how how are we funding that how are we developing those programs and and this is why i go back to my some of the issues that i took on reflection with the heat and building strategy is that there there is absolutely an onus on on government on the way we educate in this country and on the way we develop pipelines into the the industry
0: yeah um i'm going to mention the dreaded b word Brexit. you know it's um, Casting my mind back to that, I'm sure you remember it, you know, quite vividly as well. There was a lot of debate around you know, changes to immigration and what have you, um, you know, and what that what that effect would have on the workforce. Now, if memory serves. I think at the time, the re- some of the research I read suggested that 27 percent of the workforce then in London was, you know, um, you know, uh, you know non UK, um, and that kind of like, it got a little bit lower as you moved higher up the country. Um, but summer at the time, there was a lot of discussion around, you know, how are we going to, you know, um, you know, the, the, everyone was discussing kind of the higher level around Brexit, you know, and what, they, you know, they weren't actually focusing on, you know, the problems that we were facing at home. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little bit vague here, so what I'm trying to say is, at the time, we were facing a retirement cliff edge, you know, in the construction sector. You know, the vast majority of those who work in it are, you know over 50 over 60 will be retiring soon. You know, after Brexit went away or say Brexit went away, it's not going away. When the Brexit bill was passed, so on and so forth, you know, Brexit happened and, you know, the, the, the deal was agreed. You know, people started saying, what are we going to do about the skills shortage? It was like, you know, it was one of these horrible things where an entire sector really had to stand up and say, well, we told you so. We've been talking about this for ages. You know, we've been lamenting this problem. You know, for a while, and we've also come up with some solutions around it. But you didn't want to take that forward because they were too busy looking at the, the higher, the, you know, look at the trade deals. You know, looking at you know what does it mean for you know, um, you know X, Y, and Z. And that's not criticism of anyone, of course. You know, it's just I think the, the underlying factor in construction is it's, um, and there might be some listeners. You know, they might disagree with me here, but I'm, I'm firm of the belief that construction is um, is a victim of its own resilience. You know, it's had so many things thrown at it. You know, the financial crash, uh, crisis, the crash of 2007, 2008. Homes are still being built. Infrastructure is still being delivered. You know, all these things that require the construction sector still got done. You know, and the majority of the things that got built that time and afterwards, and even now, are of a good quality and and you know they they stand the test of time. All it takes is one bad building. You know, one tragedy. You know, one you know, collapsed wall, one roof slate falling off, you know, and the entire sector is painted with bad quality. You know, and that's a real, that's a real concern, you know, because I don't think the construction sector has ever been, has never been recognised for the vital role it plays, not just to the economy, but to, to, to all aspects, all walks of life, you know, and that's it's a real shame.
2: In terms of, of, of construction sector workforce, you know, there was a really interesting point that David Pinder made, around our potential move towards hydrogen uh, within our in our homes and actually the need to upskill you know those even heat pumps so heat pumps take twice as long to install as david was saying this morning and we don't have the workforce currently trained to be able to do that we're relying on industry to train that workforce now there's an issue then there with demographics and the fact that an awful lot of that workforce are over the age of 45 they might think you know when we come to a time to change we need to be retrained there may be a lack of uptake in that retraining and that might be seen as a as a point to 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 leave the profession um, when having to retrain to fit a hydrogen boiler or a, a, a heat pump to a home so it does appear like the bringing people into the construction sector it is an absolutely critical issue that we have to work with schools. We have to work with maybe the new technical colleges to, to to start to build that skills base because it's going to take a while to come through. And you've mentioned that, you know, 2030, isn't that far away. Well, Mm. we've got a lot of training and upskilling to do in order to, to meet that challenge.
0: I think related to that is, you know, I mentioned earlier the the stop start nature of Mm of policy you know so if you know the government's going to say you know introduce a grand scheme for heat pumps you know that's going to have longevity because by the time you train up the workforce to install the heat pumps if they suddenly stop it you're going to have these people that are trained up in a a defunct skill i mean obviously you know a lot of it will be you know transferable thankfully there will be transferable skills there which is one saving grace but there needs to be longevity and unfortunately that only comes with you know long-term consensual politics which simply doesn't happen at the UK level. You know, if you look around the political systems and other constituent parts in the UK, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, you know, they're designed to return minority governments, you know, so they do have to find partners to push through legislation and that, you know, on paper in theory should create long-term policy, which is agreed by political parties. So there is a government change, you know, that, that hopefully one party will still be in power in some shape or form to continue that legacy of the project um, or the program work that's been uh, promoted. Um, future skills is 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 a real concern. You know, we're doing a lot of work around trying to widen the net, and by that I mean, you know, it's um, you know trying to promote equality, diversity, and inclusion in the construction sector. is notoriously male dominated. You know, um, um, <laughs> male pale and stale. I think that I think that's the uh, the, the anagram, not the anagram, just the same saying that goes for construction. Yeah, and that's real frustration. Um, you know, because it, it's, it's the reputation of construction. You know, it's not just you know is it should be more inclusive you know and we're doing we're, we've got a, a, a an edi charter being published um, or being launched uh, this time next week and i can't say too much about it but uh, you know but i'll certainly say watch this space and you know, we're very excited about this but what we're trying to do is try and encourage sexual participants to you know take stock of their commitment to, to EDI and trying to yeah. get trying to get them to commit to edi because there is there's an untapped resource of um Minority groups, you know, uh, women, you know, in construction, you know, that that, that want to want to join the sector, um, but you know, working just at the moment just aren't necessarily compatible with yeah. the way
2: of working. I think we've what's really really exciting there, there is I've said it a number of times. I don't think there's ever been a more exciting time to be in the construction sector, you know, given all of the disruption that's going on, given all the innovation that's going on. Uh, I, I staunchly believe it, it, it. It's the most exciting sector to be working in at the minute, particularly with the opportunities to to have an impact on on, on the on the on the climate, but on the on our, on our built environment and the future of our built environment and our cities, as you've alluded to, have such an impact on people's public health, on people's well-being, on the way society functions. So I I think it's an incredibly exciting sector. We just need a little bit of a rebrand, I think, in terms of the way that we communicate about. You are absolutely spot on. I have nothing to add to that.
1: <laughs> you know, I just on that, I I agree on that, on that, Oliver, you know, there's a need for that marketing and PR, you know, of, of construction. Cause you're right, it's a really exciting time. You know, you're talking about now hydrogen boilers, heat pumps, new technologies, you know, okay, these might seem daunting for existing installers, but For you know, people coming through college, these are real. You know, you put overlay the intelligent buildings movement as well. This is some really interesting tech going into future buildings. You know, highly energy efficient buildings, which should seem as an exciting opportunity for you know those people at college and school. You know, school levels. Where does the problem lie? Because we have the funding. You know, we have the levies. You know, we have the training bodies. but It just doesn't seem to be. You know, I read some shocking stats around the amount of actual school leavers that come into the construction industry and in, into those apprenticeships. So there's a problem somewhere.
0: I think we're, tra- we're targeting the wrong demographic, age
1: demographic, you know, for,
0: for, and I think it's changing now, but certainly over the last few, you know, a few years ago, we were targeting students, but then you're too late. You know, by the time they become a student, they've made up their mind, which, what, what their career path and what their vocation they want to do. You know, as you said, Martin, you know, we, we should be targeting them at school. You know, every kid in Britain, if not around the world, plays with Duplo or Lego, you know, and then at some point, maybe around the age nine, 10, 11, you stop. That's building, you know, people love building at a young age. Something happens, you know, around that age where you stop wanting to build. And it's, you know, I think we need something in between Lego and leaving school, you know, to encourage kids to, you know, take an interest in building.
2: You, we always ask our guests on the show, what their sort of view of the future ideally would be, you know, what would you like to see? the future of our sector and hopefully for the future of society that's a pretty big one to follow up on but it'd be great to get your view of of the future
0: well i'll pick up on um the conversation literally that we've just had you know the discussion point there around you know the excitement in the construction industry and what's going on you know the use of technology and you know all the kind of gizmos and apps and software packages that come with it you know, I think the best way to describe that is, um, dare I say, a, a renaissance, a construction renaissance, that's re- renaissance that's going the on. There's a lot of uh, funding. In fact, just on that, I, I never like the word funding. You know, funding suggests that there's no um, there's no outcome, there's no product in a way. You know, um, I'd, I prefer the term investment. You know, we're investing in apprentices. You know, what I mean, we're investing in research and development because there is actually a benefit so that comes. What I want that. to see is, um, you know, construction sector that is ultimately, it's, it's leading the charge in terms of its contribution to people's daily lives. And it does that already, but what you know, specifically, it's, I want it to be more inclusive, I want it to be more um, tech savvy, but so it's widely known, those in the sector know the changes that are going in construction, you know, the different mechanisms and approaches and ways of building assets you know smart cities and everything else how they work you know those in the sector understand that but those outside don't realize because this goes back to the image again people just think of construction as putting brick on top of brick in a, in a wee pattern you know they don't actually understand you know the intricacies the, the detail the hard work you know the 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 creativity the flair, you know the the changes that are happening right beneath them you know right in front of them that are happening um i'd like to see um you know a greener construction sector i'd like to see one that is, Really focused on reusing what we've got. You know, not necessarily just asset bases, but also in one that actually really takes account of waste as well. You know, so when you you know knock down a building, you know, is there a way that we can actually reuse those bricks? You know, as opposed to just going back to them in rubble and just let them sit there for a while. You know, a really kind of um, a forward-looking, modern construction sector, which we're certainly working towards. So, you know, in the future, when you know I turn. You know, male, pale and stale. Well, I am male, but you know, it's even more pale, even more stale. You know, I hope that there's the younger generation that are equally as excited as I am about this sector, but also, you know, a little bit more um, tech savvy.
2: Sounds like a call to action, Hugh, for everybody that's <laughs> listening and doing amazing work in the construction sector at the minute, to get out there and tell more people about it, and indeed mm-hmm. get in touch and and tell us about what's going on with with all of the work that people are doing, so that we can help promote. Uh, and, and develop that image of the construction sector publicly as a really, really exciting sector to be working in. Thanks a lot for your time, Hugh. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Well, I think we really did cover a lot of ground there with Hugh, Martin. I think the key point, the takeaway from this chat for me has been that we work with so many people who are doing so many amazing things. I think it's really important that we tell people about it. I think it's really important that we communicate how exciting our sector is to work in and work for and and the exciting work that we're doing and the impact that the construction sector can have on addressing the climate emergency and improving uh, society through our social value agendas and all of that amazing work that's that's going on in our sector, I think we just need to talk about it more. We need to start shouting about that and telling the public about it uh, to change that perception of the construction industry.
1: I couldn't agree more and I think that's what's so fantastic about this FutureX community is that we're hearing from those people that you wouldn't necessarily hear from. Um, Now if you liked today's episode please subscribe and share and you'll be hearing from us soon.
2: Join our community to stay up to date with all things FutureX. Visit futurebuild.co.uk to sign up. Please
0: also like them and share them to help grow our community. You can subscribe to the podcasts within your favourite podcast platform. Thanks so much for listening and we hope you'll be back again soon.